Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Ben on, who is a motorsport engineer. Hi Ben, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? All good. It's a bit hot, but we're all good. Good, yes. Likewise here. (laughs) Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about what you actually do, Ben? Okay, yeah. So I class myself as a motorsport engineer. Um, Sort of that definition is actually pretty broad. I I think most people, if they think race engineer, motorsport engineers, they probably would default to Formula One and yeah. those guys on the pit wall. Um, so that is a, I do very much a similar thing, but um, in a former motorsport called GT and tin top racing, which um, in many ways is probably a bigger area of motorsport, but it's the, the the difference is the formula one is a like a bespoke we call them tubs like that the sort of little single seater thing which has no resemblance to anything you'd see on the road whereas what i sort of specialize in is cars which are race cars which are based off of a road car or in some way mm-hmm. and you specialize in the analytics of sort of looking at performance right yeah that's it so the motorsport is pretty pretty close to market leader in terms of driving technology so we are sort of heavily use electronics and data logging now so i've sort of found my way into somehow being a a bit of a specialist in analyzing log data in particular and using electronic control systems um, to improve performance of both man and machine so why did you choose that industry? Have you always been into cars and were you tuning cars from like as soon as you could or? Yeah, so I've, yeah, because I think like most are pretty brainwashed by parents, in particular my dad when I was a kid. <laughs> Just found motorsports so exciting. Mm. Um, so we, I, I know Dan through running into other people playing rugby, but that, that's a pretty good buzz. But until you, uh, you get someone to take you around in the track in a, a proper race car, not just a, you get track prepared road cars, which we, we, we think are fast to every day, but you go out mm. in a proper race car and it's another step again and found it so exciting and yeah, basically hooked. So it's a, certainly a passion job and a, a passion lifestyle. So what was your uh, sort of school life um, and your education to become a motorsports engineer? So it's all I've ever done. I've never worked in a McDonald's or never served tables, all the sort of the little things you would do as you're growing up and just doing whatever you can to earn money. It was, I realised I wanted to do it probably 14, 15, something like that. Um, oh, that's young. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty early on I decided that's what I wanted to do. So then I focused my career around that really. So I didn't do the conventional A-levels. I went and got a... It was called a BTEC National Diploma a College course, specialised in motorsport engineering. And then from that, uh, got offered a place at university and done a, a Bachelor's of Engineering degree, specialised in motorsport engineering again. And then, yeah, uh, a career off the back of that, straight into motorsport. And what was uh, engineer, um, engineering at university like uh, regarding motorsport? Do you find it helped? Yeah, I, I think so. I think... Um, it's, it's such a niche thing. I actually, before 
And during my education, I was working hands-on building. I started off building race engines. Very fortunate that the little to live, there was a very high-level professional engine builder, um, which I could. So I was riding my bike to to his place before I even could have a car. So that that was my work placement at school. I think it's year eleven. You do a two-week work placement I managed to get in down there and then he kept me on after that just doing Saturday jobs and then uh, the college course was sort of uh, only done two or three days a week but really long days and then I spent two days working in industry sort of just gaining as much experience as I could so definitely think you need the hands-on appreciation of everything that goes on in a car to be a Mm. good engineer where sort of nowadays an engineer is more laptop based and strategy based and numbers based you still got to have appreciation of physically what's what's going on in the car and the guys that work on it yeah i was going to say i think majority of uni courses are a little bit more theoretical and lecture lab um sort of thing uh, whereas yeah. obviously for being a motorsports engineer you need to get in with the car and understand it a little bit more so did you find you actually did much of that at university uh, no, I think um, there was, so was a, my, my engineering course was at the University of Hertfordshire, which for the first and second year is pr- pretty much just a general broad engineering degree. You, you have one or two modules where you specialise or, or sort of have motorsport themes to them, but in essence it would be um, very similar to any other engineering degree. I, I would it's a mechanical engineering degree sort of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we shared a lot of modules specifically with aviation. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the math side of it, in particular, was just general, um, was general engineering mathematics, and then there's an extracurricular thing called a formless student, which sort of is the go-to breeding ground of young motorsport engineers. Well, what was uh, the formless student? So it's it's a competition amongst all the universities, or not say all, but most engineering universities in the world, where you des- design, build, develop, and race your own uh, single-seater race car. Well, how that sounds um, epic. Yeah, so it's really cool. It's um, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, they so they they use what's called an air restrictor to limit the amount of engine power you can make because it's, it's driven by students. I think it's a very it's big rule book, isn't it, for uh, yeah, each year that comes out? It's, I mean, they're huge, like 0-60 to 60 times really impressive, but you, you're not getting to not realistically kill yourself speeds because <laughs> there isn't enough engine power, but they're sort of 200 kilos and 50, 60 horsepower. So the, the power to weight ratio is actually really, really decent. But yeah, so there's, there's all all forms of motorsport associated with that. So you, you've got to firstly raise the funds, which is still the biggest thing in no matter what level of motorsport you compete at. Then you've got all the design work. You've got to collaborate as a team because you, when you start from a blank sheet of paper, you, you don't really know what's going to hit what and stuff like that, where my friend's designing a suspension part here but i've got an engine part here trying to share the same space it's all got to be collaborated to make sure everything works in harmony so that's really cool and then uh once you decide decided on a design you've you've then physically got to make it so 
yeah, pick up. I've never welded before. I'd gone to university, so I got taught how to do that. There's all sorts of cool things that come out of it, and say it that that really was for me the the one of the most beneficial things to I would say for for anyone going to university if you've got an interest in motorsport I would make sure you do that I think I'd also say for anyone in engineering in general or you don't even have to be in engineering um art degrees or anything I'd definitely say get involved with the formula student uh, project yeah. is great so it's um, it's a big commitment we were doing breakfast lunch and dinner at university go and get five six hours sleep and go back and do it again so you you end up you design it throughout your year but uh, most of the hard work comes once your second semester's worth of exams are done and then you you fully commit yourself to the project you must have loved that though that must have been a bit of a a taste of what you were in for in the real sort of you know motorsport world yes and no um i think i i was very fortunate in that i'd had a great deal of experience before I got to that stage, which most people wouldn't, if you'd done the conventional route of school A levels, college, university, it doesn't leave that much time to get hands-on experience. But I was fortunate that I had a facility where I could have in my town, if that makes sense. But so mm-hmm. I count myself very lucky there. Um, so I already had a bit of a flavour for it, and I, I knew what was good and knew wasn't what wasn't so good. So I felt like I was probably more of a contributor to my team sort of bit more of a, a leading role I think because I had the experience but likewise I still learned an awful lot doing it and I say if you you're not as lucky to me to have a high class facility so close to home it's it was yeah it will be a huge benefit to you and say I, I chose my university off of uh, its recent performances in the former student competition there's sort of two or three in the UK that do very well every year um mm. so I didn't look at any other sort of performance metrics <laughs> other than that so so I, I count it very highly in terms of choosing where to get your education and I know Ross Braun in particular the he's sort of the, the famous F1 chief and now he's technical some some sort of manager in f1 he would only take graduates on to any f1 team he's been involved with if they had done former student yeah wow yeah i i would if anyone's looking to go the motorsport engineering route i would sort of make that a priority as part of your and how did you do we did we did okay i think we were second in the uk my year um It wasn't bad. Not too bad. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I say the Germans. There's some German teams now, in particular, that are like in terms of technology used, they are cut above the rest. But they have ties with a lot of the German manufacturers and have budgets of two, three, four hundred thousand pounds plus is the rumor. Whereas oh, I think what we raised was around twenty-six thousand. Oh wow. So, so we weren't we weren't on the same playing field of them, but I think with the amount of money and resource we had, we did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, and the competition is set up so you, you it's not you don't buy success necessarily. It is is the rules are set with a budget in mind. So um, yeah, don't don't get put off by if you're not if you're not going to university with the highest of budgets that you're gonna you're set out for failure at the beginning because it's not like that at all it's very fair you, you've yeah, done yeah, quite a lot of uh, different bits and bobs 
within your career already worked on different projects and for different teams like so you uh you worked on a bit of bentley and mclaren um how important is it to sort of network once you get in the industry to get these opportunities and to specialize i guess as well is what you've done yeah i i think it's hugely important say there's two two main routes in 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 motorsport engineering i only know the gt in top road car based side which which is huge it's, it's now becoming young racing drivers used to aspire to be Formula One drivers, but I'm seeing the, the tide shift where if you want to be a professional racing driver, you probably want to get into GT racing because you've got the likes of Mercedes, Porsche, Bentley, Ferrari, all these people are heavily involved and have a huge manufacturer presence. So yeah, I only know this side of the industry, so I'll only comment on that side, but it's actually a very small network of people comparatively. It's a hugely demanding job and it takes a sort of special sort of mindset to, to put up with it. So there's at the moment, simply there's not enough engineers to go around for the amount of work there is. So it's weird. I, we, I was involved in the World Championship and the European Championship and done a lot in the Middle East. And no matter where I went in the world, you turn up and you go, wow, I know him, I know him, I know him. What are you doing out here? It's... <laughs> It's yeah, in, incestuous is probably the word. Um, yeah, I suppose it's not a bad thing for for you if you can sort of meet and, and chat to these people once you're in, you're in kind of thing. Yeah, so it's hugely reputational based. So uh, that's as it's a good a point as it is bad. So you don't get away with too many bad performances or yeah, any wrongdoings because everyone soon knows about it. Likewise, if you're good at your job. This, this work coming out your ears and it's sort of up to you as to how much you commit to so and I think that's one of its charms um, I think you've got to be a competitive person to want to do it mm. and what what's sort of a, an average day for you and you, you know you said you've you go around and uh, you, you're doing a lot of traveling and I guess you have to travel around a load of different circuits around the UK as well yeah so I think 2018 was my busiest year to date where I'd done two British championships and a world championship. That, that, was, in, that was just three, uh, three different cars, three different programs. There'd be seven or eight race weekends in total per program. Uh, I tallied it up at the end of the year and I'd done 195 nights away in hotels and 47 oh, nights. So travel's uh, involved. <laughs> so you've got to be able to travel and you've got to be able to basically get a good night's sleep whenever you get a chance. Um, yeah, if, if, you're in a, if you're not a good good sleeper, if you're in a new environment, you're, you're going to struggle. So my typical, if I'm working, this is, which I consider work to be at a racetrack, it would be, so we preheat the tyres in GT racing. We call it a tyre oven, where we get them to sort of 80, 90 degrees Celsius before they even get bolted on the car. Wow. Um, so you imagine there's a bit of time to get the oven fired up, get it hot, and then get the tyres up to temperature. So say we're out the first session of the day, which is normally nine o'clock, you would have to be at the circuit for probably 6.45, seven o'clock in the morning um, just to set your tyre pressures and get all the tyres in the oven getting hot. Say most days normally finish on track running between half five and 6 p.m. You wouldn't run all day, but you say you've got to be on the job all day. And then there's normally a debrief, an hour and two's worth of data analysis to come out of the debrief, any plans for the next day, what you're going to change, what you're going to tweak, what you're going to tune. And if that goes goes to plan, you're probably looking at sort of eight, 
8.39, 9 p.m. finish. Yeah, and that's without any crash damage as well. If you've, obviously crashes happen a lot and it's a huge team effort to fix it and you can't yeah. miss sessions. So it's quite regular you do an all-nighter if, if something hasn't gone well. So yeah, it's a pretty demanding lifestyle. And is this what you did uh, straight out of uni? Got straight into doing these sort of... Um... The, the, this job working on GT motorsport? Uh, yes and no. So um, I think the most common route, I, I, I count myself as very lucky to be directly involved in the team running a car. But the more common, because the, the, the budgets involved now are just, just silly. They're huge. Um, I think the cheapest thing I'll do this year is probably £400,000 a season, what the what it costs to do. So imagine they, if you're paying that sort of money, you, you don't take on someone inexperienced to, to run your program to, yeah. to waste your money so you, you, you've got to it's a chicken and the egg situation where you've got to get experience to prove yourself but how do you get get experience in the first place so what most people do is go and work for a manufacturer or a supplier so yeah you might go and work for Bentley themselves or you might go and work for I don't know AP Racing which are big in the brake side of things or Cosworth which are big for for engines and stuff and uh I got a job with um, Cosworth out of university. So I mentioned that they're sort of probably world famous engine manufacturer, but um, they've actually got an electronics department as well, which sort of shaped my career to becoming a specialist in electronics and data analysis. And that was, I didn't, I didn't particularly, I had quite a broad interest when I left university and it's just applied for as many job positions as you can get. And fortunately that, that one sort of said yes. So um, that, that sort of, focus my career at that point so when you're a supplier like that you you're not directly involved for any one car you you normally for a whole grid of cars or a whole brand of cars it's similar work in terms of support yeah if, if someone crashes a car you're not you're not normally expected to stay there overnight to repair it as part of that team so it, that yeah, can yeah. be slightly more yeah easy going in terms of the hours uh, what sort of personality traits uh, do you see in yourself and um, others in the uh, the job around you the, the overwhelming factor is this can do attitude it's a problem solving attitude every day you're looking for you're already on the limit of control with everything you do in terms of it was just a car and track but now if you if you do gt racing where there's many pit stops and strategies going on the whole team is now got to be the best they can be at the moment so you've constantly got to want to improve yourself and improve your performance so you've got to what sort of ever challenges put in front of you got to quickly make a decision and adapt and overcome it and do the best you can so yeah you've got to be got to be good under pressure I suppose you've got to be confident as well to be able to sort of talk up for your, you know, your opinion point, especially if you're doing statistics and you say, well, you know, we need to be doing this. We are currently doing that. Yeah, you've got to have confidence in your abilities and say there's an awful lot of money riding on some of the decisions that you make. You've got once you've made them, you've got to back them, basically. Um, And you've got a big confidence in your confident in your decision process to get to the whatever decision you need so that, that yeah that just comes with experience and fortunately most of the bigger teams will take on a junior engineer to work alongside an experienced one so you can sort of come up with your own decisions whilst you're junior and present them to the ex- more experienced person and they'll either analyze it and go yeah it's a good idea i haven't thought of that or i've seen this before it sounds good but the negatives of this and this is why we wouldn't do it so you you're not directly loaded with a load of responsibility but 
there's still that responsibility there so the confidence side of it is is definitely important um, what what are some of the biggest positives uh, and opportunities you've taken from your career so far i mean uh, you knew you wanted to do this since you were 14 so i guess that's one of the big positives you're doing something you love but anything else yeah i say it's it's such a passion sport you're working with only like-minded individuals so you make a huge network huge teams it's actually once once you're into the professional world it's say quite small so what one year you could be it's my version of football or my version of rugby in terms of what I follow and the drivers are some of my heroes you know what I mean so it's one year you could be following watching on tv and go cool he's cool and then the next year be working directly with him and helping to shape the races that you sort of dreamed about as a kid I don't know when this is going out but this weekend is sort of the world famous Le Mans 24 hour race and in 2017 I went there as a spectator with my dad going, this is really cool. And then the next year I'm working it directly involved with the race and having wow. an impact on its outcome. And so that's, that's a pinch yourself moment right there. Definitely. So um, the other thing I've sort of definitely worth mentioning is how inclusive it always, I think more than ever inclusivity is talked about. And uh, yes, it's got many flaws in the industry, but fact of the matter is everyone wants to go fast. So, if you can make that car go faster than anyone else you're in, it doesn't yeah. sort of matter on gender, race, wealth, any of those factors. If you if you're good enough to make that car go faster, go faster, um, you're accommodated. So yes, yeah, yeah, single-minded, which is I think more positive than a negative. Is yes, no, certainly. Um, yeah. And what would be some of the less favourable uh, aspects you find about the job or the industry? There's there's definitely the commitment side of things. So you can't say if there's only six races in six or seven races in a championship and your mate says, Oh, I'm getting married on March the first, the love for you to be there, you go, Oh, that's hang on, that's that's a race weekend clash. You can't just say, uh, so, sorry team, I can only do six out of seven because that doesn't cut it. You you have to be committed for the whole programme. Um so you either do the whole whole season with them or not, if that makes sense. So yep. your work your social life is based around your work calendar likewise the amount of the sheer amount of hours you do when you're doing it can get pretty tiring say an awful lot of travels you live out of a suitcase i i net if you if you compared someone that works a normal automotive engineering job they probably work what 210 220 days a year i can you can make a good living as good if not better than you would have working for say i don't know ford road cars as a comparative and maybe only work 170 day, days a year. So you actually get, you're either full on working um, or you have a lot of downtime in between the races, especially over winter. So um, well, we, we actually looked at some stats for um, sort of average salaries for yeah. uh, motorsport engineers and starting salaries seem to be from around 18 to up to 25 grand. Um, but then with a few years experience, it can go right up to 40 to 60,000. Does that sort of sit right with you and your experiences? Yeah. So I think probably one thing I haven't touched on yet is that sort of the nature of the industry. So certainly my GT side is nearly every engineer I work with is actually self-employed. So say as, as we don't physically work on the cars, it's not necessary for us to be there at the workshop in between races. So it saves the teams a load of money to, they don't want to be employing an engineer to sit around and actually only be effective when the car's at track or, or on a race weekend, which is typically only 80, 
90 days a year, if that makes sense. So yeah, um, it's all day rate based okay. in the industry, what I do. So you say so you, you work as much or as little as you want. So it's a pretty relentless lifestyle. So what you find is the, the older the guys get, the more experienced the, the guys you, if you were paying the entrance fee, the guy you'd want working in your team gets more tired, more family commitments, wants to do less days away. So they ended up charging a huge amount of money per day just to sort of cover their, their year, um, get the same year's earnings, if that makes sense. So yeah. there's a huge spread in what you can earn. Whereas those figures, what you quoted would be if you work directly for a company, I think, um, which would most likely be a manufacturer or a part supplier. I think that the upper end's about right if you're really high level sort of management at a manufacturer. But if you, if you go self-employed and the track support work route work, so you can, I know people earn a lot more money than that um, and earn a lot less as well. It depends how much you want to, earn, um, depends how much you want to work really. But obviously majority of that is based on experience more than anything. Say so, yeah, if you if your one goal is in life, say so most people see the Le Mans twenty four hour as the the most sort of equivalent of the World Cup football final or the the Rugby World Cup final or your Wimbledon Grand Slam. It's pretty much the only sport in the world where you can be at the highest level later on in life, and with enough money, you can buy your way onto the grid. Well, okay. So yeah. you, it's not like if you've always been a football fan, you have a bit of business success and. You're mid 45, you're sat on 100 million. You can't, you could never buy your way into a World Cup football final, could you? Whereas you, you can effectively do that in motorsport. If you, if you have got someone in your team that you trust and you've got that sort of money behind you, money's no object to get to get someone in your team, really. So, um, yeah. I know some, some engineers that have earned an awful lot of money. What would be something that's not in the job description that you, uh, you have to deal with? Probably uh, traveling around the world, sharing hotels with someone you haven't necessarily met before. <laughs> <laughs> I've turned up, I worked for a German team in 2018 and sort of the first event I went out to is the first time I properly met them and you walk into, you're sharing a twin room with a, a German guy you've never met before. That's, <laughs> that catches you off guard. But say, no, it's, it's pretty, uh, once, once you get into it, it's pretty much sort of copy, repeat, what, what, once you uh, get up and running, it's such a well-honed, fine-tuned process most people go through now mm-hmm. because it is the fastest and people have worked that out over a number of years. Um, you do fairly, you do the same job each racetrack you go to and you just tune to the, to the conditions you're presented with. So there's, there's nothing too surprising there, but um, say the you hadn't thought about probably the traveling side of it and where you stay and where you go for dinner and all this sort of thing. But you've, you've sort of done this for, I don't know, five or so years um, at the level you're working at now. And you also started uh, motorsport performance solutions, right? That focuses on the analytics side of the business. Yeah. So as, as I mentioned previously, um, most of it is contract work. Um, so I had to start, I started the company out of necessity really, um, just so I could contract to race teams. Um, but say I, you got to realize what your niche is in this game because there's quite a few roles, quite a few varied responsibilities and Mm. having worked. So there's, everyone's heard of Bosch, I would assume just from even domestic appliances. They're 
on par with the biggest motorsport electronics company in the world. And I think a lot would say Cosworth Electronics are on a similar playing field. So it's not a not a hotly contested marketplace. And I was fortunate enough to work with one of the world leaders in it. So sort of made sense for me to carry on down that route and specialise in it. And I could either learn to be average at something, another area, or I could play on the fact that I've worked for one of the world leaders. Um, so that's why I chose data analytics and um, control systems, which is actually hugely fascinating. It's relatively immature as technology found in a race car, whereas engine technology, suspension technology, brake technology is, yes, it's still improving, but the development rate has slowed considerably probably in the last 15, 20 years, whereas um, the electronics is only just finding its feet. So it's very exciting to be a lot of the things we do, you do you're being the first one in the world or and or existence to be doing it, if that makes sense. Uh, so what's what do you see as the future of uh, the industry you're working? You're, you said earlier that kids now growing up want to be race car drivers. They don't necessarily want to go into F1. They want to go into what you're doing. Um, and how does, I guess, environmental impacts affect what you're doing now? Are people being more considerate about that as well? Yeah, I definitely think there's um, there's much more conscious effort towards that um, the environmental side. Um, I think ultimately what needs the motorsport industry is the is the road car manufacturers now. So your Porsches, your Mercedes, your Ferraris. It always used to be sort of a bit of a saying: you could win on Sunday, sell on Monday. It, it, it's always <laughs> been an advertising activity for these manufacturers. But also, I think the technology we find in everyday road cars now is hugely developed in in the motorsport environment so there'll be stuff i'm working on now or say me me and my colleagues in the professional motorsport industry that will five years down the line be commonplace technology in road cars so sort of that's the way it you could you don't get a harsher environment i don't think than motorsport so yeah i suppose it's sort in engineering i've always found it sort of trickles down from like the military and then into professional competitive sports and then into everyday life really doesn't it yeah exactly so the i think motorsport always in some form or another always exists and it'll just you're dictated by the technologies the the big oem companies want to develop and so i'm I'm looking at uh, electrification and and sort of e-motorsport but sort of the more you look into it i don't think the my my understanding of it i'm not I'm not uh, by no means an expert, I said, but I don't think the battery technology we currently have is likely to be the future. Okay. So I actually think engines will be around longer than we think, is my understanding of it. So I think there's still still good few years yet if yeah, you're yeah. interested in it, engines. But yeah, so I think it'll always be there. It's always a proven ground. It's always a way to make new techno- technology cool. Say manufacturers use electronic race cars first and then they they did that long before um they actually started selling electric road cars it's sort of a way of yeah sexing up new technology so to speak the the competitive environment just um breeds technological advance so it'll always be there but we'll just have to over as members of the motorsport community you just have to adapt and learn to whatever technology a manufacturer is trying to develop or use um, going forwards so would you still go into the industry knowing what all you know now um yes definitely um i so say i think it's to work the amount i work i think there's 
probably a shelf life on it. Say if you want to do the more conventional, have a wife, have kids, um, raise a family, you spend too much time away. So you've got a very, very understanding spouse or say you charge a huge amount of money to do a relatively little amount of work, um, which those... Sounds like the dream. (laughs) Obviously that that is a dream, but you've got to be realistic with how many, (laughs) how many opportunities there realistically are. So, say I think I know quite a few people that do it for sort of 10 years, scratch the itch, so to speak, and then fall out into um, wider automotive engineering or other engineering roles where you get a much more conventional nine to five family life. So do you think that'll be um, a move you'll make eventually, or do you think you'll, uh, you like the circuit too much? So I, I can't see me ever getting, getting out of it completely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm actively working on ways to, and especially with the, the coronavirus, it's a bit of a wake up call in that I was dependent on traveling to a race circuit to earn my money. So as soon as you couldn't do that, it's uh, that's a bit of a wake up call. So if you've, got another means to use your experience and expertise to to provide another form of income then yeah it's always going to be a benefit so i'm actually actively looking to sell products now so the the electronic products i say i work with at the professional level i'm I'm sort of making business plans to start selling at a more amateur level which would sort of be um sort of an amateur level i define as someone that just does it as a hobby so if you, I know plenty of car nut people where they, they do what's called track days where you just pay some money to take your road car on the track for the day, but that, they'll take that pretty seriously. So although it's considered amateur, it, even now the technology in that industry is it just it's ever increasing. So I think there's plenty of opportunities out there and there's plenty of, there's plenty of very good experienced and established race engineers that now find themselves tuning road cars and sporting amateurs which is a, a much less um consuming schedule should we say well it sounds like a brilliant job i'd love to do that go around race cars and watch the watch the races and it sounds brilliant mate um thank you so much for coming on no worries no thanks for having me i have to say um i listened to a few of your other podcasts earlier in preparation for this and i thought it was really good i think it's um yeah, much needed service that not many people do. So, um, cheers for that. That's what you've done. Thanks, mate. Where can uh, people find you on uh, social media? So I've got uh, I've got an Instagram account and a Facebook account, sort of. So it's Motorsport Performance Solutions. I've got a website. Most of my work was through word of mouth previously. So um, it's people you know. I didn't have to do much self promotion, but as of as of the lockdown, I've invested a bit of time and money into making my online presence much greater so um much bigger will be much more content there'll be uh lots more exciting information so um, yeah, well you sent your yeah, uh, your that. business plan over earlier today and a little read through and i'd say mate i think it's a it's a great idea a bit of an untapped market and um the plan looks good so best of luck with all that and thanks again for coming on thank you no thanks for having me guys cheers cheers babe.